Can you believe it's already December? It's gone by quickly. It is gone by yeah. in a flash. In a flash. You know, I woke up and I was like, oh, yeah, mm. it's halfway through the year. Looked at my calendar. Yeah. I'm like, nah. You went to bed in June <laughs> thinking you'd wake up to grey skies and rain, but you, but you woke up in December to blistering heat and a sweaty nuts. <laughs> we all do. We li- we like to go to detail into detail on this podcast. I write that in my journal. Like that's how I use. That's what I use to measure temperature. Yeah. Whether or not it gets sweaty downstairs. Whether it gets sweaty downstairs. Today's a bit a bit rank. To be honest. It's a very... the weather. I mean. <laughs> Welcome to episode seven of the pool room. <laughs> I think it's eight. I think it's eight. Are we on eight? Yeah. Oh, really? oh yeah. yeah. Scrotum talk through you. <laughs> It just goes downhill from no. here. One of these days, we're going to start the epi- like the episodes, just really blanket formal business. Yeah, we'll be so formal words. that it will be like considered not the normal. It'll be for like us. the ABC in the fifties. Oh dear! It'll be like, good <laughs> evening and welcome to the pool. Well, fuck the pool. <laughs> they won't be saying that. <laughs> we'll be like, good evening and welcome to the pool room. It'll be great. Ah, yeah. We'll wear suits. Yeah, we'll wear suits. As opposed to what we're wearing now. We look ridiculous. We'll, we'll, um, you know, have some very controversial banter. We're controversial banter. Controversial banter. Can you believe we've got women working in the studio? Ah, no. I don't believe it. (laughs) Anyway, episode eight. Episode eight. Welcome. 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 Hello Hello there. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) You're right. I'm I'm doing good. I'm I've been fighting off a bit of a cold, but um, yeah. Well, I'm currently locked in like a small room. You're Lockland. I'm fuck man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm locked in this small room with not just your like infectious breath, but those jokes. Those puns. Um, Am I gonna get sick, Jesse? Ah, no, I don't think you will. What about from the flu? Sharing is caring. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. It's this coming gift towards the festive me. season and yeah. it's a time of giving. So I should just be giving you these. I these would much stuff. rather you cough into a handkerchief and say, smell this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's good. You've been, you've been eating turkey? Uh, no, I'm not. Turkey is that one thing that, yeah, really just gets eaten on Christmas Day for me. I yeah. like. I see it at Subway and I'm just like, no. Nah, but see, they've got nah. that crummy, thin sliced turkey. I don't like it. I don't like the the the, the form of turkey that's essentially like a ham cut. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a bit. That's a bit rank. The only turkey I kind of like is Turkish delight. That's true. Yeah. And the country. Do you like the country turkey? Yeah. Oh yeah, the country turkey is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Country yeah. turkey is good. Yeah. Anyway, what 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 <laughs> you been what you been doing? What have I been? What you been up to? Browsing. What, what you been browsing? What have I been? What have perusing? you been browsing? Yes. What have uh, you been well, perusing? well, I've been. <laughs> I have been uh, catching up on a bit of TV, mm-hmm. and so as mentioned uh, last time, yes, I've been watching Watchmen. Um, been keeping up to date with it. Keeping up to date with it, yeah. The most recent episode involving uh, the character of Hooded Justice is mm-hmm. fantastic. I'm not going to go into details, but as mentioned last time, yep, yeah, Watchmen, get onto it. It's amazing. It just keeps getting better and better for me. Um, I finished both seasons of Barry. Oh, right. There's season, two of those, are there? Yeah, season okay. one and two of Barry on HBO. Um, yeah, so this show is, like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it is both really witty and really gritty, but also is quite sincere as well. Um, 
yeah, uh, Bill Hader is one of the main creative driving forces behind it, and it's just, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, well, I like Bill Hader, and I, I mean, I saw something with him in it recently. In fact, I re- no, it was I rewatched. There's a documentary called Six Days to Air, which is about the making of South Park that chronicles oh, yeah. their production over over a week, because each episode of South Park is produced within the the space of six days, where they formulate the idea. Yeah. Um. The the base level animation means that they can produce it quite easily through a computer software, mm. um, and keep it up to date. And they can, and you know, they as the title suggests, they piece it together in six days. Six no, days, and yeah. Bill Hader was a, a writer on South Park, I think, from about oh, really? season twelve to about nineteen. He's not on it anymore, but he's the, he appears in the writers' room and they interview him and mm. things like that. It's it's quite a it's surprising how how intense that documentary gets just yeah. because it gets to you know. The day before it, before they're set to to shoot it, and Trey Parker's like pulling his hair out because he's oh, like, really? I need yeah. to I need to cram all this story yeah, into yeah, yeah, yeah. one page yeah. of of script, and mm. you know, it's it's quite fascinating though, and it's always rewarding to see them how, see how they do the the yeah. voices and and things like that. Yeah. That's a cool documentary. Yeah, well, um, Barry, it kind of it it's really easy to binge. It's only like there's only about eight or so episodes in each season, and they're both about you know twenty five to thirty minutes long. And, like, it kind of reminds me a bit of, like, John Wick, mm-hmm. but a lot more fun. Yeah. In a sense that it's a guy trying to escape a really dodgy past, but it just keeps coming back <laughs> to get him. Um, and, yeah, I, I find it fascinating that, uh, yeah, the, the whole premise revolves around, yeah, this hitman and his, um, you know, his, uh, he, he kills a lot, and then one day he decides... Uh, uh, one day he has a bit of an epiphany and he discovers his love for acting. Mm. So he's trying to break out into the theatre scene. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's it is fantastic. There's probably one of my highlight episodes has got to be, there's an episode in season two. Um, I'm not going to say much about it. All I'll say is uh, he goes face to face with, I think it's a judo instructor. Right. And it it gets it, it's actually an episode I think I think Bill Hader actually directed that episode, but it's an episode that just not a lot of dialogue, a lot of action stunt pieces, and it just it gets ridiculous. It is so great. I, I love like it. Bill Hader. It seems like yeah. quite a talented dude. Well, he clearly is quite a talented dude. I think back to what I would have first seen him in, and it would probably have been something like forgetting Sarah Marshall or Superbad. Oh, yeah. And in both... In, in Superbad, he's got a, a, a fairly large, but you'd say it's, you know, a, it's a sort of secondary character in yeah. forgetting Sarah Marshall. He does often play... Like, he, he's cropped up in a lot of stuff. He does often play your secondary character. I think that's why when he was cast in the second It movie, it sort of felt like... Not only was it like if you're playing the adult version of that character, like, that's really appropriate because, yeah. you know, that character's the... Uh, you know the witty jokester, so to speak, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a something of a of a resemblance. It's not a mirror image, but there's a bit of a resemblance between um is it Phil Finn Wolfhard or something Finn like? Wolfhard yeah and uh, and and Bill Hader. It's not massive, but a little bit there yeah um and that's w- with the the with it you know the, each of those characters gets their their time to shine, so to speak. It mm. felt like it felt rewarding to see him in a bigger role than what you'd usually see. Yeah, him in. exactly. Yeah. Um. It is great to see him in a leading role with this one yeah, as well. As well, where can we find Barry? Uh, so Barry, it is uh, produced by HBO. So okay. in America, obviously, if you've got HBO, um, 
in Australia here. You can get it on DVD. You can get it on Blu-ray. I've been watching it on a certain box. Tell. Oh, that's right. No, 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 no. Whoa, there, son. You box got... fell. That's the one. Yeah, box fell. that was a Freudian slip. You want to know how this came about? <laughs> so basically, last time we uh, came to discuss the pod here, mm. I was talking about Watchmen and how. Uh, a certain Boxfell website had the exclusive streaming rights to a lot of HBO's content, including Watchmen. Now, last uh, after last pod, I went home and there was a new episode of Watchmen that was released. So I went to go watch that and I'd received a notification on my emails a day before saying, hey, just a reminder, your 10-day free trial for Boxfell uh, finishes tomorrow. As of tomorrow, you will be billed for a month. Oh, damn. For it. And I was like... Dude, I, can I just say, if your subscription to Boxfell has ended, I, I recommend uh, subscribing to Foxtel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> But um, the reason I was cancelling is A, because it was expensive, and B, my sister actually... I realised after signing up, my sister already had a subscription, so I was just going to use that. Mm. So... It was about 11 o'clock at night, and I'd just finished watching that most recent episode of Watchmen. And I was like, okay, cool. So let's let's go ahead and cancel this, and then I'll start using my sister's account. I go into the website to go cancel, and much to my dismay, I go into the account settings, and it says, oh, our website's down for maintenance at the moment. Try again tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, so I try a different browser. And I'm like, no, it still comes up with the same message. I'm like, okay... So then I try logging in, logging uh, logging out, logging back in again. Same message keeps coming up. And I'm like, so you mean to tell me that I physically cannot quit my subscription he's clever, isn't he? until the day when I first uh, get billed? He's so I clever. Got, I got charged 25 bucks for... <laughs> that Moopit Murdoch. Moopit Murdoch. So... Unfortunately, I got billed for it, um, and my subscription ends in a couple of weeks. So at least I've been take. Uh, so I cancelled it a day after, um, but because I've already been billed for it, I essentially still get to have access to the service until the next billing cycle. And how long till Watchmen finishes? Are you gonna? So Watchmen actually finishes about three days before my bill- the next billing cycle. Well, that's perfect. So. That finishes... That's the stars aligning. Yeah. I've been meaning to watch Chernobyl, um, What We Do in the Shadows, and I've been binging through Barry. So I've been trying to get as much of it out of it as possible. I take the week off work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just hibernate. Yeah, just hibernate and just binge everything on no. there. But um, I do have something else I've been watching, but what have you been watching? Um, Do, do yours, because I've got, I've got two things I want to talk about. Okay. Um, yeah. So I have also seen two films. Ooh. Two recent films. Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so first recent film I've seen, is, uh, so, uh, so basically what I've seen is Knives Out, and I've also seen Marriage Story. I know of one of those. What is Marriage Story? M- what is Marriage? It's what when is a man and a woman off. love each other <laughs> When they love much. each other really, really much. And in recent times, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. That's so cosmopolitan of yeah. you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to cater to the masses. Cater to the masses, yeah, of course, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. So, um, basically, Marriage Story is a Noah Bombach. I think that's how you say his name. I've always seen it written down. As Boimbotch. 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 Noah Bombach. His most recent directorial effort, uh, starring 
uh, one of my favourite actors of all time, Adam Driver. I know the one. And I know the, I know the boy. <laughs> and Scarlett Johansson. He's yeah. also good as well. But Cheers! <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez. The> ranking. <laughs> Adam Driver, one of my favourites. <laughs> and Scarlett Johansson, isn't it too? No, I, like, she's good. She's good. She is good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and essentially, a local independent cinema in Perth here... Um, had picked it up to do a couple of preview screenings mm-hmm. before it got widely released on Netflix. So it is a Netflix original. Oh, it's a Netflix, okay. okay. Yeah, so it's coming out, I think, in about a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's essentially about this couple that love each other a lot. They've got all these, you know, quirky things they have in common. And it's a story about divorce. Oh, right. And it's about their gradual separation between each other. Okay. Uh, uh, you laid it on me quite, quite chippily. And it's about divorce. <laughs> it's about their gradual separation from each other. Yeah. <laughs> and how they just move apart and grow to hate themselves. It's wonderful. And it's essentially, yeah, this, uh, this couple, they're going through the motions of, oh, we, we want what's best for our child, so we're... We're going to be very civil about this, and we're just going to, you know, split it down the middle half and half. But as things go on, they start to realise things get a little bit more complex, and once lawyers start getting involved, then it becomes a little bit more of a fight as opposed to just a very civil half and half. You know, you've got the lawyers who are like, no, we don't want to go for half and half. We can, we can, we can hard campaign to get 70-30 kind of split. And it's more about, like, you know, the lawyers are more interested in trying to acquire as much assets as possible, and people then start to lose a bit of sight as to the whole reason of why they're doing this, and it just it becomes a big mess, and it's, it, is, it is devastating to watch, but honestly... I think it might be one of my favourite movies of this year. Really? Is it, is it a funny movie? Like, is it, it, Interestingly yeah. enough... For a movie about divorce, it's surprisingly one of the funniest yeah. movies I've seen this Because I, I, when you said marriage story and then you described who was in it, I, I remembered, oh, I've, I've, I swear yeah. I've seen like promotional stuff for that and the tone didn't mm. come across as it's, depressing. It, it, there are moments in it that are genu- genuinely hard-hitting. It's like you, you feel so sad for these characters and you're just like... Oh, it's like you're an emotional wreck in parts. It tries to sprinkle in these like little bits of humour and it just does not overpower the mm. the dramatic tension that it builds up. Like it it really earns those moments and it they really just come as a relief. And there are even a lot of moments where you laugh but you feel bad for laughing about it afterwards mm. kind of thing. Um Yeah, it's just uh like there's a there's a moment involving a child support worker coming uh, into the home and, you know, assessing Adam Driver's living situation to make sure he's a fit parent. Now, on paper, that looks like a very serious scene, but, like, how it plays out is a lot more funnier than, like, what you'd anticipate kind mm. of thing. But it's funny in a depressing kind of way. That feeling like, of being under scrutiny, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, how Adam Driver is just trying so hard to get things right and just mm. everything's going wrong kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I would strongly recommend mm. watching it. Um, 
very interesting to watch uh, with your partner there as well. <laughs> Don't tell me she smiled knowingly at you, Jesse. <laughs> no, we were both an emotional wreck afterwards. Yeah, that would be a bleak thing to watch. Yeah. What about Knives Out? That's something that's... When did that come out? This uh, Was that Thursday that was released? It came out, we got a wide release on Thursday, yeah. but there were some previous screenings which I went to the week before. Okay. Um... That one is, that one's a wild ride. I love that. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was. You know, I was tempted not even to ask, just because I know that there's a lot that. um, I think I one of my friends saw on one of those. One of my other friends, I should say. You are. You are friends. (laughs) You are one of my friends. (laughs) Um, One of my other friends that saw it during a preview screening and said, "I don't want to tell you anything about it because it, it pays to." To, to go in as cold as you can and I've yeah. seen I've seen the trailers and I don't know much beyond the murder mystery component mm. I'd like it I think what I think yeah you should definitely go into it quite blind I think all I'll really say about it is it knows what it is mm-hmm. it uh, has a lot of fun with it and it's it's Ryan Johnson the director of it he he obviously plays with the genre a little bit. Yeah. Like, puts his own little unique flair to it. Um, but he also pays homage heavily to the whole whodunit murder mystery genre. Um, when I say he kind of subverts expectations, it's not done in a kind of, oh, look at, look how clever I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't see that coming kind of thing. It's like, it, it, it really... It, it, yeah, like I said, it knows what it is. It treads carefully and it... Has a little bit of fun doing. Okay. So um, it's got a it's got a very impressive cast. Oh, the cast well. is amazing. I'll watch I'll watch Jamie Lee Curtis and anything. She's great. All of them are great. In for me in particular, I think Chris Evans and Michael Shannon. Mm. Oh, and Daniel Craig. Yeah. All amazing. Um, I I really like Daniel Craig in things where he isn't James Bond now because I feel have you seen Layer Cake? No, but I've seen. Uh, Logan Lucky. Yeah, he's, he's good a, in that. He's he? amazing yeah. in yeah. that. I think he's just so done with Bond at this yeah. stage that, like, anything that allows him to put on a funny voice and, like, dye his hair, just, he has so much fun with it. But at the same time, you get, you get, you understand, because, I mean, I imagine for a lot of people, Bond was the first time they were introduced to him. Yeah. And if you came to that without having seen what he was in before, I mean... You you might sort of figure you know that that's who he is, but yeah, even easy to typecast yeah, him. Yeah. But then he, I think there's also a component when you see him outside of Bond roles, and he's just got this charisma that's that is you know the image of what James Bond has been for since its inception. It's like, dude, that like that's a perfect James Bond. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it makes total sense that if you were going to stick to what James Bond traditionally was, I know there's talk of of changing it to to be a little more inclusive. Yeah. Um. But if you're going to stick stick to that to that uh, typeface of what James Bond was like, it makes total sense that it would be someone like yeah, Daniel yeah, Craig. Yeah, exactly. Um, Logan Lucky does sort of subvert that a little bit. But if you haven't seen Layer Cake, it's based on a novel and directed by Matthew Vaughan. Okay. That was his first first feature. I think initially Guy Ritchie was gonna was gonna direct it, but he I think gave it up. Um, but that's a really interesting sort of lock, stock, and two smoking barrel style yeah, noir yeah. set in really grungy uh, East End London with Michael Gambon's in it as well. Oh, good old the Gambs. Yeah, there's, this, there's this bit where he's holding Daniel Craig like with his head over a, a big skyscraper and there's this 
wicked shot that just goes right the way around the the building and you know just Daniel Craig in the center of it hanging off the end, end of this <laughs> building it's really spectacular yeah. that's a cool movie I think it's on Netflix yeah no I'll definitely check yeah. it out at some stage yeah yeah, yeah. um what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Well, I've had an awful lot of time and in the... in the, the All the time in the world. All the time in the world. All and the money in the world. I wish. Yeah. But in the, <laughs> in, the, in the period when I was busy, I bought a lot of DVDs that I'm now slowly just munching my way through. Yeah. Not literally. That would be weird. <laughs> but um, in the break, I bought... No, in, the, in the, the working period, I bought a bunch of DVDs of a show that I remember very vividly from my childhood as running on Comedy Central that I had seen... Uh, the Comedy Channel here in Australia. Mm. Say, um, that I'd seen advertised, you know, understood what it was, what it was, and what it was poking fun at, and some of the humour, but was sort of a bit disillusioned by it. But then came across it on ABC Two in a late night run, um, and the show I'm referring to is Reno Nine One One. Have you ever seen or heard of it? No. Okay, so it's effectively a spoof rendering of the show Cops. Oh, you know cool. the whole bad boys, yeah, bad boys, yeah, yeah, and yeah. following. Yeah. Uh, cops on what the What you going to do? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Get well, filmed by this crew well, while you're pulled over by the police? When they come for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it is essentially focusing on the Reno Sheriff's Department out of Reno, Nevada, which is yeah. the state bordering uh, California. And the department, shy of just being blindly incompetent and <laughs> often tend to be, tending to be outsmart outsmarted by the the criminals that they're trying to arrest also in some cases are just flagrantly bad people who were using oh, their, okay, who, who yeah, were like yeah. who are using their their power as a means to to their own ends and it's shot it's formatted in the style of of the show cops where you know you follow them but of course it being constructed in a in a way that the traditional cops program is probably uh a little less than though it's fair to say that the, that that the original probably has some elements of it that are pieced together artificially. Mm -hmm. Um, You get narratives running alongside the episode arcs that are specific to the characters and to do with their personal lives and things that are going on, and they all all have their own uh, individual trials and tribulations. It is incredibly dark at times. (laughs) It is... How dark? uh, There's a lot of things to do with... uh, Often dealing with death, Occasionally things like drug abuse, overdosing, assaults, Ooh, okay. uh, yeah. those kind of things. Like yeah. it, it does turn it on its head and it's, I did, there are moments in it that like, I'm, I'm talking about it now and I do enjoy it for the most part. There are moments in it where I, where I sort of think, you know, why is that funny? Are you doing anything more than just wheeling out a, a potentially offensive topic and trying to, trying to, you know, Poke fun at it. Yeah, or yeah. like or this yeah. coax reaction because it's offensive. So I sort of I sort of try and figure out, okay, what like what are you doing with it? And yeah, there, yeah. there are times that I think it's a little it, it does come across like it's just wheeling out a, a controversial topic. Like, hey, look at this. But, but those don't always like they 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 they're not what come to define the show for me because I think for the most part it, it is it is quite a funny show with and it's all character based. You come to know exactly what these characters represent and what they are. And I think that it's a kind of show that you need to get into and get used to those characters to, mm. to ensure that you're properly enjoying yeah. it and understanding the archetypes that these characters are portraying. Um, the point that I was getting at with the, with some of its content, um, I don't get, I get the feeling there's some of it that wouldn't be made now. There's a lot that's made of, of race, yeah. but more yeah. to do with 
uh, cultural attitudes towards race. But I think in today's day and age, even comedy that revolves around poking fun at racism, but doing so in a way that that uh, that exerts a racial prejudice, even though it's for the purposes of satire, is still is a contentious uh, uh, subject in this day and age. But there are characters who are flagrant. I learned to speak flagrantly racist. Yeah. But they are very much the butt of the joke. Yeah. Um, like I said, for the most part. All the members of the department are incredibly incompetent. For the most part, I believe it's it's improvised and it's um, it does come across as very off the cuff and similar to what you get with like Chris Lilly's stuff and uh, Spinal Tap, oh, like like you, that kind what of we things. doing the shadows. What we doing the shadows? Yeah, like yeah, I imagine yeah. most of that's improvised, but you get the you get the impression. Uh, it gives the impression of natural performance and uh, fluidity with performance and yeah, dialogue. Yeah, as opposed to something more scripted. Yeah. yeah. And I believe, I was going to mention this because I thought this was quite interesting, the, the two guys that are, or there's, there's three people that are responsible for putting it together. One of, uh, all three appear as cast members and they are Thomas Lennon, Robert Ben Garrett and Kerry Kenny, wait, Kerry Kenny Silver. Uh, all three of them are credited for the creation of the show. Now, Thomas Lennon and Robert Ben Garrett also have quite a profitable screenwriting career. Mm. They are responsible for the Night at the Museum films. Hold on, there, there was three. There Night was of, three Night at the, Mu- yeah, Night of the yeah. Museum movies. Um, I was like, was there a fourth? <laughs> was Was Robin Williams in the third one? I that think, was. That was yeah. like his last movie, I think. Yeah, he's got to be in there. Surely. I think so. Because the second one, they go to the Smithsonian. They go to the Smithsonian. Or was there even a third one? There is a third one. That one's called something like... Uh, I'm looking it up now. On a tangent, but I'm looking it up now. Secret of the Tomb. There is three. Oh, wow. There really is three. Um, yeah, so it's got Teddy Roosevelt in it. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, okay, it does. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Uh, Robert Ben Garrett and Thomas Lennon wrote the Night at the Museum films. They play two characters in Reno 911, are the creators of that show. They also wrote the films The Pacifier, Balls of Fury, and Baywatch. Uh, now, I have seen. You mean 2017? The 2017 one. Oh, I have boy. seen one of those movies aside from the Night at the Museum films, and that is The Pacifier. And when I was about 10, good shit. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but. Reno nine one one not going to be to everyone's taste, but I think that there is total um, inventiveness in that kind of comedy that they're, that they're perpetuating with the um, with the the cops stylings and um, a strange take on the mockumentary form. Have you seen it or heard about it before? No, no, haven't. Have, this is literally the first time I've ever heard of it. You've heard it You'd here like first. It. Yeah, yeah, Jesse's yeah. never heard of it. Where can I watch this? It's on ABC. Or it's been, it might be on iView. It, I saw it on ABC a little while ago and then was compelled to buy some of them. Um, but I don't know where you could find it aside from that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Do a bit of digging. I don't know. Do, do some digging if you're compelled to. Do some literal digging. Go other... down to a park. <laughs> Have a goose. Get a shovel. <laughs> but the other thing that I watched, and I watched it a couple of days ago, which I'm, I'm inclined just to mention and give a brief overview of but not go into too much detail, is um, Dr. Sleep. Oh, the Shining sequel. Feeling really tired now. That's he'll he'll do that to yeah. you. <laughs> he makes he you will. feel sleepy. I don't know how I feel about that as 
a title. I get that it was referenced in The Shining, but like, it seems a bit of a silly title. Well, I, I quite appreciate that there is such a distant link to The Shining with it. And I mean, it's based on a book that was written in 2013 or published in 2013, I should say, again, by Stephen King, as was the original Shining novel. And mm. as has been widely reported in the wake of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, Stephen King had some ha- He had some, had some issues, words issues to say with, with that. Um, yeah. So I, to be honest, before the, like, I'm not a devotee of Stephen King. I don't follow his publications religiously. Mm. And so when it came to, to this movie, the release of the film was the first that I heard of there being a Shining sequel. And after seeing the film, I'm, I'm quite compelled to see how it's rendered in the book. Now, it got in the press after its release in the States for having... Uh, not performed as well in the box offices yeah, as they had anticipated, yeah. which is, which is somewhat surprising given that you know, um, but almost kind of a a reflection of of people's altruism when it came to how they viewed mm. Stephen King's works as you know box office well, gold. It after actually kind of makes sense it. to me because I've been trying to watch Doctor Sleep just out of sheer curiosity, and every time that I've got time, like free time. I have a look at the session times, and it's like there'll be one session early in the morning or one at 9 o'clock But at see, night. I wonder if that's to do with... I mean, because I, when I went to see it, and I went to see it last week, and I believe it's only been out for two or three weeks, which isn't mm. that long. You'd expect that if it was doing well, it would it would be a, be a, a, little a, bit a, longer, a perpetual yeah. run. But when I checked, it was literally one screening in the city, and that was at about three on a mm. working day. So hardly anybody was going to go. There were some people in the cinema. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I wonder if that's a refle- uh, to do with the fact that there hasn't been the demand for it that for them to have ongoing sessions, which is a shame because I actually think, um, going back to what I was saying with, with people seeing that Stephen King is a viable commercial property in the wake of It Chapter 1, and it, and it, it Chapter 2, I believe, did, did a similar business. We had business. Pet Cemetery come up. Pet Cemetery. We had It 2, like I said, this, this yep. year. Um, there's been a couple that have gone to Netflix, like Gerald's Game, and is it 1922? 1922, that yeah. that's right. No, although not many people saw that one. No, it's I not, it's not too bad. It's, it's, a very, it's a yeah. very different one. It's quite slow, um, mm. but it, it is totally worth your while. But um, like I say, Stephen King has sort of had a, a, a renaissance in the last couple of years. With, a king of songs. A king of songs. A Steve on a songs. Steve on a <laughs> A Steve on a king of songs. Um, <laughs> In the wake of set on the back of a giant turtle. <laughs> <laughs> in the, in the wake of of it chapter one, um, and obviously it chapter two was, this year was quite an anticipated film. I was a little bit disappointed by it. Mm. To be honest, I really liked the Pet Cemetery remake because I wasn't a big fan of the original. It was okay. Um, I mean, it it, it was a little middle middle of the road yeah. as far as like it, it played it safe as to, in far, as far as horror movies go, particularly in this day and age. And yeah, yeah. I think I just found the 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 original little, little too in line with a telly movie. Mm. Um, but I, I like them both and they're cool stories. I, I can safely say, though, for this year in which we've had three Stephen King adaptations released in cinemas, Doctor Sleep is my favourite. Yeah. I think it is probably also the best as well. Mm. Um, I don't know whether this is necessarily because of... Because like, I, I like The Shining. I'm not the biggest fan of The Shining. But I went into Doctor Sleep with, like bare minimum expectations. I had little idea of what the plot was going to be. Like, I knew that it was going to pick up with uh, Danny as an adult man, in which in this film he's played by... An adult man. An adult man. Like, what if there's an a big adult. plot twist and it's like he picks up as Danny as an adult dog? <laughs> as an adult dog. <laughs> he's as a an dog adult man. baby. Um, 
But uh, it's I, the baby from Train Spotting. <laughs> <laughs> talking of that, there's a weird beyond the Ewan McGregor connection. Ewan McGregor plays Danny in this in this uh, in this film. Yeah, there's a. There's a moment where the the film picks up, uh, where it picks up a, a few years after the events of The Shining, uh, after a a brief little window in which we see Danny and uh, what's the mum from The Shining, Wendy. Wendy, Wendy, in which we see Danny and Wendy um, from the original film sort of coping in the aftermath of yeah. of the events at the Overlook Hotel, and they're played by people who look. Similar. Similar. Not. I think it's very hard to cast someone who looks like Shelley Duvalo because I think she's got a very distinctive she face. Does, she's got yeah. very distinctive eyes, mm. and this person doesn't look a lot like her. But but you know, what are you going to do? It's very hard to do you unless can't, you can't unless you do that de- that de aging thing on yeah. it. On it. Um, and it would be very hard to do that on the child because I imagine they'd have to do something with his height. <laughs> um, but we then cut to thirty years later, and Danny Torrance, after having had what. What I think it's fair to say is a bit of a troubling childhood oh, real, really has troubling devolved childhood. into drugs and alcohol <laughs> um, and wakes up. Choose life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, literally, the, the opening scenes of Adult Danny are very reminiscent of a Mark Renton scenario. Okay. Um, and it does it does go into the to a similar level of grottiness that the that the the transforming film is do. there. A really hard to understand monologue by Robert Carlyle. No, but which which monologue and train spotting is hard to understand? Uh, in, he, the fucking minute, boy. <laughs> We're gonna cut that out. <laughs> his uh, character introduction in the first train spotting. You know, where this lassie got glassed. No, where do we find out? Ooh, what did it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That whole monologue. The best scene in the film. The best scene. I re- like honestly that. <laughs> I actually had to watch subtitles first time. <laughs> I remember I, I watched that with my uncle and auntie, and and uh, my uncle had watched it and enjoyed it, but wanted to to show my auntie for the sake of of showing her Ewan mm. McGregor as a young man. And for some reason, the DVD copy that we had automatically reverted to subtitles. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, Phil, do you want to take the the subtitles off?" And he goes, "No, nah, I think she we might need them." Yeah, you might need them <laughs> for this scene. <laughs> um, but Doctor Sleep is is a very interesting movie. I think I'm I'm inclined to read the book just because I think there are components to the film. It's a relatively long film, but I do think there are components two that are two and a half hours from what yeah, I yeah two and a half hours. And I it does it does feel like there are a lot of things that get glossed over because you can imagine in the in the duration of a book and as per the conventions of a book, you can have certain themes and components that are delved out uh, or dealt with through uh, narration and, mm. you know, offhand comments that, that come across as, you know, more character building. But when you're dealing with, with film and it is a little more narrative and, mm. you know, the pace is a bit different, there are things that get glossed over. So where Danny comes to sober up about, you know, within the first act... There are instances that hark back to the fact that he's struggling to maintain his sobriety, mm. and they do feel sort of just peppered through in a way that doesn't that doesn't give the the struggle of of holding off from drinking the weight that it should. But I imagine would be a little bit different if, say, the movie was longer, which I don't really want it to be. But um, would three would be three hours long <laughs> for the three hour alcoholic cut. <laughs> um, but I imagine would be a little a little uh, better suited to a to a book. I think. All I can really say of the plot is Danny's coping with his with his ability to shine, mm. and has encountered the fact that there are people out there who have the ability to track down people who have this shining ability, 
and recognise that if they kill them, they can seek some everlasting life from from what's released from them as shiners. And there's to... a lady in a hat. She's she's the leader of this group who she, she, tries to get she's all in the shining hat. children. Yep. And she's like a she she almost becomes like a a literal child catcher, like you know that kind yeah. that kind of a nursery rhymey. Think we we mentioned this in the Babadook, like yeah. you know that that whole rendering of you know the Pied Piper and, yeah. you know, oh, and yeah, sort Pied of Piper, child yeah, cap, yeah. Uh, child capturing yeah. routine, and it, you know it literally becomes there are there are people out and about in in the United States who this team of people accost and torture to reap the benefits of their shining ability, which is said to give them this this everlasting life, mm. and it's to do with Danny with with the help of some accomplices taking them out. And he enlists the, Aven- the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, he, he contacts the Hulk. Yeah. Hulk. Hulk Dunn smashes the woman in the hat. Um, but it's... It <laughs> Tony, not, Stark. Not, not <laughs> Tony Stark shows up <laughs> in his Iron Man suit. Yeah. Yeah. From the dead. From the dead. Spoilers. R.I.P. Um, but no, it's a very interesting movie, and I think probably not... I'm interested to see where this movie does have some very, very direct visual narrative and dialogue related references to the to the Kubrick film. I'm interested to see how they play out in the book with knowing Stephen King's response to it, whether those are things that he acknowledges as potentially canon or whether he disregards yeah, that. Yeah. And then the the sort of Kubrickian rendering is something that's only applicable to this film. But Stephen King gives it his seal of approval. Lachlan gives it his seal of approval. And I think you should watch it, Jesse. Yeah, no, I'll definitely check it out at some stage. I think I'm a li- I've am been a little bit hesitant to watch it, though, in a sense that um, i just seen re-watched The Shining in, uh, as part of an anniversary screening. And because my expectations were so... Like, after re-watching that, I was like, oh, my gosh, like this, this film's amazing. There's no way I can that Doctor Sleep can live up to it. So, like, I need to wait for that to fade out of my memory a little bit so that yeah. I can go in with a lot more lower expectations. To be honest, that... I think that the narrative doesn't cater too well to being connected to the Stanley Kubrick shining legacy, to be honest, because I think that that film in particular was less to do with the plot than it was to do with its direction and its mm. and its ambience yeah. and where this this does come across a little more conventional in terms of how, how horror is told and it is more centered on the the supernatural components of it and a journey that you get more in line with with uh, an 80s Stephen King adaption mm. um having said that there are like i say there are there are direct nods to to the Kubrick mm. moment, like literally like shot for shot recreations. There's one that they've used in promotional ter- material for Dr. Sleep that I'm both a little annoyed they did because what a great surprise it would have been. Yeah. But um does give away essentially a moment in the in the third act that comprises the centerpiece of of the uh the conclusion. Yeah. Um I do wonder if it would function as well or it would be as enjoyable if it didn't have the affiliation with the Kubrick rendering, if it just functioned as, uh, like, maybe if the character isn't even Danny, it's just a guy who has this ability and it's set in the universe of the, you know, the Stephen King universe where people have the ability to shine and, yeah. you're, and you're dealing with a, with a narrative in which people are hunting them and tracking them and killing them and, and, and uh, ex- exploiting their ability. Yeah. Um, but what you do get in Doctor Sleep is a number of moments that do that are essentially fan service. That like the the narrative doesn't cater to them 
that well. Like it does yeah. feel like they are sort of they are sort of giving you giving you something as payoff for for this being the second part in you know the Shining saga. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. And uh, but I can appreciate why you would be trepidatious after coming yeah, from yeah, the exactly. Shining to to see the sequel. But I yeah. I'll I'd, definitely I'd check that at some stage. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But this week. This week. So episode eight again. Sim- Fuck! I burped. <laughs> we'll keep that in, hey. It shows keep that we. It, it shows that we're human. Yeah. Um, similar to last week, this week we, you know, as we said before, we tend to select films that at least one of us has seen, and it's it's. This is essentially a a, a, a gift giving act where one of us is like, you know, we've got this movie, we want to share it go. with you. Yeah. Here you go. Did you enjoy it? And so far, it's been, yes, It's been pretty it. good, but now we've actually taken the approach of more of a secret Santa approach yeah. where we're like, ooh, what's going to be in this one? And we unwrap it, and it turns out it's a, another mug that you've received. Are you equating this, this this very pleasant film to no, 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 another no, mug? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> We know what Jesse thought of this film, guys. No, I uh, I don't say that as a reflection of this film of at course, all. No. I'm just trying to make a comparison yeah. between us going in blind to a yeah. movie and Secret Santa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I get what you mean. And I'm uh, trying to have a laugh. Trying to have a laugh. A laugh. But of course, what this means is that we're both coming in blind to these movies and it's it's a new experience for both of us. It and is. so what you're going to hear via your headphones... Hot off the press. Hot off the press are Fresh our out of first the oven. thoughts on these individual films. Yeah. So this week... Smell that, that aroma that, that comes That cinematic the, aroma. The cinematic aroma of just a lovely bait... Film. <laughs> a baked film. A backed film. <laughs> a baked film. A backed bean. You know, leave, leave it on your stovetop for about 15 minutes to cool down, and then we can... It'll be piping hot. Yeah. Yeah. It might thi- burn the roof of your mouth a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and this week, we selected, or Jesse selected, actually. I selected, it was your, yeah. it was your Off your inclination to I, watch. I had a bit of a gander on my list, and then I had a bit of a gander on Stan, and I ended up selecting the 2009 Warwick Thornton film, uh, Sam and Delilah. Play that trailer. Hang on, just got to reach over and press the, uh, press the here button. Here we go. Uh. Here, uh. Thornton's much-depraised debut feature, Samson and Delilah, offers an Oz-centric spin on the runaway lover's narrative. Its focus is a teenage couple living in a remote, predominantly indigenous community in the Northern Territory, in which their lives have devolved into cyclical mundanity. Where Delilah spends her days caring for her elderly artist grandmother, Samson upholds a routine marked by isolation and substance abuse. When they both experienced mirrored instances of domestic violence in turn, the ostracized pair make for nearby Alice Springs as a safe haven. But amidst an indifferent community and Samson's ongoing addiction, forces continue to draw them apart. 
That's a lot to unpack. That's a lot to unpack. And I mean, it does simplify, I mean, and it is my fault, that we, we tend, we have resorted to offering, you know, written introductions to the film short of going through the film and discussing it as opposed beat by beat. Giving it some sort of direction as yeah, opposed to just jumping all Absolutely. Over and, you know, as a, as a means of setting the scene for the film, I think that the base narrative is quite a... Like like we say, it's a, it's a runaway lovers narrative. Yeah. It's, it's it is not as villainous as Bonnie and Clyde, but there is a kind of uh... yeah. It's not as clear cut in terms of um, like it's not as like it. Sorry, it's a lot more subtle. Yeah. No, and and it's not, and it's uh, like my point was more. They're not the you know they're not they're not the villains of the story by any means, and they're not doing bad things. Mm. Um, but it is you know. Lovers on the run, you know, and runaway even lovers. Still, the quote-unquote villains of the story are just really. There's just a couple of side characters yeah. that you you see in one particular scene. Other than that, it's really just about their bond together. Absolutely, yeah. and I feel yeah, it's kind of hard to pinpoint an antagonist in the film because it does really. it does seem yeah. to be that 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 there are. Um, I could see an antagonist in the form of the one white guy that's in it. The guy, uh, because upon reading the synopsis, it um, says online that, uh, so the guy who comes and buys the paintings off of the indigenous grandmother. Yeah, yeah that's true. He um, sells them to art, other art dealers and yeah, stuff like that for they, a high yeah. amount of money. But when you... In the opening scenes, when you look at their... She doesn't receive much of the income from Yeah, it. like, when you look at the how they're living, you're like, no, there's they, they're not receiving any of this cash. Well, all. we see that later when, when uh, Samson and Delilah go to Alice Springs and Delilah walks by an artist's, uh, like, you know, a, a, mm. an art dealer and they've got the... The, an artwork by her grandmother who passes away fairly early in, in the story yeah. selling for $22,000. Yeah. Um, and... Previous, we'd previously seen her getting little in return. Yeah, you know that that rings that home. I mean, I'll pick you off on one thing. I think there are, there, there are more than one white white people white yeah. people. Oh, white yeah, people. Okay. There's more than one white guy in the in the story. Um, there's there is the art dealer who again when uh when uh Delilah enters treats her with total indifference and and uh, flippancy mm. and just sort of shoes her away effectively. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we, we we open on the on the community from in which the two are the two are based. Mm. Their lives it's a very small community. It's a very small community, and their lives are effectively like like we mentioned in the introduction, a routine. Yeah, like it, and it is you you get the impression through the the first fifteen minutes where what we're seeing is essentially them getting up. Going through their daily routine, going to bed. Yeah. Then the next scene is them getting up, doing the same thing with, yep. with minor differences, going to bed, and we get it. We get that again, and you you just and get... because of the fact that it's such a remote community, it's like they're, they're not really. I mean, to a Western audience, you look at it, it's not really super riveting stuff. It's it's literally just you get up, you walk to the shops, you throw a rock at someone, kind of thing. You sit down, paint with grandma, and then you. Watch, watch your brother playing a band, kind of thing, and then you go to bed, kind of thing. But see, I mean, it's quite a universal thing. Like, I don't know that it's totally specific to Indigenous people. I know that a lot of people would would experience an isolation and mm. an alienation through mundanity. I mean, you know, people experience that in. in oh no, I ways wasn't saying that, are... that like as specific. I was meaning. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, like I was meaning uh, when you're watching this, like it's 
they they due to the location and the mm-hmm. cultural context of it, it's very very mundane. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like it's not someone sitting in a in a house by themselves. It's like they're literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also because of the 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 tightness of of the setting, they seem to it seems to literally be walking shy of a kilometre mm. in the course of Down a day. Down the road. You know what I mean? And up to the shed. Yeah, and where we where we yeah. see uh, uh, Delilah take her grandmother to, to get uh, medical care literally looks to be like about 200 metres away from where they're living. Mm. You know what I mean? And that and in, in the rendering of Delilah's routine, that is like one of the central things. It's like she gets up, gives her grandmother pills, they paint a little bit, and then they wheel the, mm. she wheels the grandmother to, to the hospital and then to the church, which is essentially a shed yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a shed with just a cross with on it. With a cross on it. And, and you know, we, we get that, that, uh, that routine rendered three times, and, and in that period we just sort of figure, okay... This is this is their life. There's not much else for the for these yeah, people to yeah. do. Like you know, they're they're almost stuck in it. So the knowing where the the narrative goes, and I I don't know about you, but I knew fairly early on that they were going to be they were going to be in some way breaking that routine and running away. Um, from what I knew of the of the uh, the narrative already, mm. when you get into the look at Samson's component, he's a little more idle than Delilah is. His his days essentially consist of waking up. Throwing rocks. Throwing rocks. Um, he he's got a substance abuse problem, like we mentioned. Mm. He's he's taken to sniffing petrol, which he does through. He starts like a, out sniffing textures and then he's sniffing petrol. But he sniffs the petrol in the very first time he he wakes up. He's got the, the yeah, cup oh, and he yeah. covers you, his nose with you, it. And, yeah, because you see that, and like I wasn't sure what that was at first. Yeah. I thought it was like I don't know. That's and that's very that's it's kind of a tricky introduction to to it because I that is a is a a social problem that people. Mm in Australia um, recognise as something that has befallen mm. Indigenous communities. But it's also... Yeah, it, it was quite hard-hitting for me to watch that because, like, it also... I've mainly been aware about it through a lot of very bad stereotypes that have yeah. been discuss, like, discussed. And so, you know, I thought it was just a something that maybe might have happened years ago, but no, this is an indigenous filmmaker uh, making a story where one of the main characters is doing this. Well, it is, it is effectively like if, if you, if you didn't have the resource or the, the means to, to gain things that, you know, what you'd, what you generically see as, you know, contraband, like, Mm. you know, cocaine or heroin or, or, um, marijuana, you'd, you'd, that, I mean, that is, petrol is, is, you know, it's a, a commonplace commodity that effectively has these properties that you yeah. can abuse totally, yeah. and it is it is essentially everywhere, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it's 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 of course it's legal because it has a very important function in in day to day life in terms e- of running yeah. machinery yeah, and doing the easy others. Easy to access. It's yeah. easy to access, and so in that sense, it's quite easy to to take it and abuse it for for its mm. other properties that it has, like. I mean, I mean, it's a rumor, but you know that whole thing of like smoking banana skins <laughs> that perpetuated in the seventies, in the sixties. I said did to, not know about it. It was that, said no. to have some kind of aroma to it, like like a no, like a hallucinogenic effect. Oh, yeah, it's bullshit. Well, better try that one out. I didn't try it. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you want a banana? <laughs> no, um, Why? Yes, I would. Thank you. But this is something that's befallen Samson, and and truthfully, like uh, when I was at school, we had people come in 
into school um, Indigenous people mm. from remote communities come and talk to us how that was a, about how that was a problem that it, that was yeah uh, that perpetuated and it, you know it wasn't just petrol it was things yeah. like uh, paint and glue and things oh, things yeah, that like, had yeah, uh, the uh, I'm not sure specifically what the chemical properties of it are that give it that mm. effect but have uh, either a, a relaxing effect or a mind numbing effect I mean mm. realistically you and I have been to a petrol station yeah. and have got a hit a hit of petrol and it's like that doesn't smell too bad yeah like it's it's not I wouldn't be sniffing at all, Dad. No, you but... wouldn't. No, I wouldn't go out of my <laughs> way to, but you can see where... Right, it's three o'clock. Here yeah, we go. Where it has kind of like, you know, uh, it's got... It almost feels like a relaxing effect, and there's a character that appears in in Samson and Delilah once they go to Alice Springs who mentions after he sees Samson inhaling the petrol. That shit'll fuck up your brain. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> what I will say, um, what I find kind of mildly amusing about this scene, but it's also quite sad is when he actually does say that line, that shit will fuck up your brain, he, he immediately on follows goon. it by, yeah. like, just sculling a that's, heap that's, of goon. I thought that was wonderful, and, and I did and, make a note of that. And it yeah. is, like, when you unpack that, that's actually, like, a lot more complex than what it appears to be. That because is... of the fact that, like, there is a big problem, I think, in Australia with, like, you know, we, we condemn other kind of substance abuses, but when it comes to alcohol, it's like, oh, no, alcohol is fine kind of thing. But mm. when alcohol, yes, it's legal and it's you can drink it and whatever, but also at the same time, like, alcohol is really a lot more da- damaging than some people make yeah. it out to be. Because people, you know, and like petrol, it's there mm. and it can, it can be abused. Like, it totally can be abused. Um, and this, you know, that there was... Hypocrisy, but then also a, a wide, wider social commentary in that in that character's mm. actions, where he dismisses Samson's behaviour as you know fucking up his brain, but then proceeds to swig heartily on, on yeah. the goon. Um, going back to Samson's routine, like we say, he he wakes up and he sniffs he sniffs the petrol. He and when I say sniff, it's not just a sniff. He covers his mouth with it, For like covers his face with it, time, and it's yeah, yeah. sort of uses it as a as a respirator, mm. and that's how he seemed to to um partake in that activity throughout the film. Yeah. Um, where where Delilah's routine essentially is looking after her grandmother, helping her paint, and, you know, she's, compared to Samson, quite put together um, mm. and has got a purpose. Samson just seems to be wandering around and not necessarily... I wouldn't say he's going out of his way consistently to, to annoy people. He's just trying to keep himself entertained. Entertained, yeah. yeah and that includes, yeah. like, you know, he, there's a point where he goes to... A little bit outside of the community, and he digs a hole, and he finds he goes deep enough that he gets water and just chills out and basks in the sun. A mm. uh, kangaroo comes along, he beats it up, and then he he takes it home. He takes to eat. it home and eats it. Yeah. Um, but each character has their routine fractured in quite a significant way that mm. can, that leads to that leads to the them having to depart. Then them having yeah. to leave. Yeah. Um, Delilah's grandmother passes away. She was an elderly woman who Delilah was having to medicate on a daily basis. Some of the townsfolk, um, you know, they blame her for, you know, like neglecting her, yeah. and even though she was taking care of her and doing everything, but they, they, they're not really present for pretty much all they're of not, it. No, and I, I got the impression that they may have been relatives, possibly. Um, yeah. And I mean, and I mean, it's, I mean, we're aware that there's that in Indigenous culture, the treatment of elders is something that's treasured and the elder, yeah, elder yeah. people are, are respected and and the the experience and knowledge and narratives and benefits of having 
someone who's lived that long mm. around is, is treasured a lot more in indigenous communities than, yeah. than I think so it's So for them, it's a definitely a lot more serious It thing. is, and absolutely. I can see why they would make that assumption. They go, oh, she's just a young girl. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't know what she's doing. Um, no, she's in as experienced as us. We should have been there to protect her, yeah. uh, to care for her. And, you know, of course, we as the audience have seen on, on three occasions... Delilah doing exactly what she should have done to care for her grandma, insisting that her grandmother be medicated and, yeah. and taking her grandma to uh, the clinic. She's a lovely old lady, though. She is, yeah. She's, she's, oh. <laughs> well, she's, she's ripping into Delilah like, well, that's like, your husband <laughs> over there. <laughs> she's like, hey, you going to get some of that? And <laughs> she's just like, nah. Um, and Samson, in the midst of in the midst of his routine, does, exp- does show some affection for Delilah mm. and manifests in a kind of flippant way like throwing stones it's at kind her. of one of those that that kind of primary school mindset of you know when you like someone but you, you pretend to hate them yeah you pretend yeah. to hate them and you tease them and it's a way of, yeah yeah it's very very much reminiscent of that kind of like primary school i think it's fair to behavior. say like it's worth noting noting now for the most part this is this is a fairly dialogue light film this is this is more or less a silent film it is and i and uh, i don't know if when we came to editing the last podcast and where we where we attached trailers for for the subsequent episodes film, getting a moment from Samson and Delilah that had audible dialogue, <laughs> um, was very tricky. For the most part, the dialogue is is a music cue, mm. um, but in the case of Samson and Delilah, and it's revealed somewhat later on that the reason for for the lack of speech between the two is is Samson's inability to speak. Exactly. I don't know that he's that he's what you'd term mute. He's got a because he does manage to to say his name, but he does struggle with a stutter and then also a, yes, a slight lisp. He might just be illiterate, um, potentially. But um, well, it it wouldn't surprise me because now I don't know of the validity of this website, but I'm on a website here and it claims that Warwick Thornton, the director, hadn't like has trouble spelling because he actually didn't go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that's true. Um, I like I haven't done enough research into it, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that. But like, yeah, it, it, if that is the case, then maybe it would m- maybe make sense that maybe he's created this character as somewhat of a, a, ref- a reflection yeah. of himself um, as this person who isn't very literate. Well, that's very possible because, and it's strange that this came up in this film, and I was going to mention it to you like for the recording. But there are certain things that that have come up in more than one episode of, of this podcast that just seem to be like perpetual ghosts in what we're talking about. Yeah. But Samson wears a birthday party T-shirt. Mm. Now, the birthday party was the name that the boys next door changed to yeah. when they went to the UK, I believe, and was a band that was fronted by Nick Cave. Yeah. Um, so it just keeps cropping up. It just up. Cre- keeps on cropping up. But um, I was looking into the to what that was in relation to because I, I, like, I didn't think that that could be like a... a you know, a flippant decision to have this character constantly wearing this shirt that sports the birthday party written down, but then also I think it's a a, a group of skeletons dancing around the skeleton of a of a horse or a donkey or something yeah. like that. Um, but it, it turns out that Warwick Thornton had that shirt 
given to him for his birthday by his mother. Oh, really? On the basis that it said birthday party and, you know, connected that with, with, yeah. with birthday celebrations, but wasn't aware of the connection that it had to to the band. Yeah. And he, and he was saying that he would walk down the street and people would say, oh, yeah, man, birthday party, yeah. awesome. And he'd have no clue what they were talking about. <laughs> oh, um, that's so great. I love but then, that. But then came to, came to know, about it, know about it later. But as well, if you know the music of the birthday party, it's quite brash and abrasive and, and hostile. Mm. And it and knowing its Australian context, it does come to come to stand as a bit of a rendering of you know outback and outback brutality and and uh, rough and raw mm. life. That if you're going to make some kind of uh, analysis of where the origins of that sound has come from, you could easily say it's to do with a grim and bleak colonial past that is attributed to Australia. Yeah. But more than that, and, and this is this is something that I wish they had done. Um, there's a point where Delilah constructs this artwork that is a black background with a hand on it in red. They should have made that a red right hand. They, are, they, should, they should have, have done. Like, yeah. because the, I, I believe that. That would that, have been great. That, beca- that comes from, like, I think it's a John Milton poem or something like that, and the red right hand was said to be, uh, you know, the, the source of from which vengeance is, mm. is distributed. And so the idea, particularly where that comes up in the narrative, she she paints this picture after she's the victim of abuse and the idea that she's then constructed this red right hand and it's her getting back at the world yeah. for, for the the, uh, the inequities that she suffered. Um, but then I looked again and it's a it's a red left hand. Red left missed hand. Epo- missed opportunity. You, you had one job, Warren. <laughs> one job. The right hand. The right hand. Um, but... but uh, Samson's reason to leave the community is sort of a little bit self-inflicted in a way. Like he seems to, yeah. it seems to be just based off a of based an explosion of, of violence yeah, that he, he has towards to his play brother. The guitar. Yeah, and he just gets frustrated and smacks his brother smacks with it with a stick. With a stick, and then and the brother comes and smacks him back. And goes with the absolutely stick. ham. And yeah. I mean, where Delilah's being blamed for the death of her grandma and is also being beaten with a stick, Samson is as well, and he resorts to take Delilah away from the, mm. the community. I do like one thing I really noted with that particular first act is um yeah the characterization of music in absolutely a, in yeah. a sense that um uh a lot of the scenes scenes involving samson um you know you've got the reggae band playing in the background they're playing that same beat in the background and that kind of transitions between diegetic and non-diegetic yeah. and well um, for the most part like and, I, like when just just on yeah. the subject of diegetic and non-diegetic before they leave Alice Springs for the most part the audio is diegetic in the sense that it would have been created in that yeah. in that environment and that includes like you say the band but then also the two characters where their routines are different in very specific ways they are also similar in very specific ways and one of those ways is come the end of the night they both resort to listening to music mm. yeah and so, like I was about to say, is that, um, yeah, and then you cut to Delilah, who sits in the car and listens to classical compositions. And so it's kind of that intri- interesting, like, it's showing they're, they're both different in personalities. Yeah, they um, are. And they got different music tastes. Um, yeah. And there's a callback to Samson listens to a very specific local radio station that plays an like, assortment of country in- and rockabilly stuff and it's an indigenous radio it channel. is based yep. out of the northern territory i believe yeah um and he listens to it religiously like i say in the opening couple of scenes where we're treated to three renderings of essentially the same routine come the end of samson's day he turns on this radio and falls asleep to to listening to it come the very end of the movie where samson and delilah have gone off on their own mm. he hears a shout out from his dad 
uh, where the host announces, Samson, your dad's, uh, this, that was dedicated to you from your father and he looks forward to seeing you in six months. Yeah. With the implication being that his father's in prison and he's, yeah. he's waiting for his father's release. So the added meaning behind uh Going, resorting to that to that station is beyond just an affinity for music, but also just an affinity to for connection. Wait, you know, yeah, what I mean? waiting to get yeah. that call, waiting for that call. But then also, I suppose when you're living in remote communities and not like I know that you grew up in Albany, where where I grew up um, down south was a little smaller than Albany, and yeah. Film and television, to a lesser degree, music. When I was younger, was sort of that that connection to the oh, there's there's things out there beyond mm. beyond uh you know me going to school this that and the other. Like when I was younger, the idea of America was like fucking Disneyland. Wow, you know what I mean? And then um, you realise it's run by idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you know, I don't know if you were the same though. Like you know, when you when you're when you're younger and you've got an inclination to want to to want to broaden your horizons things that you see in the media or locations that you see in the media is the thing that sort of keeps you mm. connected and feeling you don't think of it as a real place you don't no it's almost like a utopia and you know i went to america it weren't that great <laughs> um <laughs> Ooh, we'll throw in shade <laughs> uh, but just just the sensation of when you're when you're somewhere that's quite isolated you know i.e. The, the location that Samson and Delilah are in, you can see why they resort to this external cultural influ- influence to get to get um, an external rendering and, and perspective mm. to broaden their horizons. Yeah. I think it's, notice, it's notable to mention as well that the very first English that's spoken by Delilah, I believe they speak for the most part uh, Walpuri language. Walpuri. Yeah, no, we looked that up the other day we did yeah yep. that's right um the first english that's spoken by delilah is a hymn that she sings to her grandma after yep. she passes now what's interesting about that is obviously christianity was a colonial mm. uh in, it was a colonial something that the european colonizers brought to australia brought and yeah and part of the grandmother's routine daily routine is with to go with to delilah. the shed yeah. which is literally just a shed with a crucifix and i mean what, up on the wall what that cued for me and it's not something that's really dealt with in the movie but it's something you'd ha- you have to read into given the context of colonial australia and its effect on indigenous people was was whether that was something that she had instilled on her by by people quite early on that weren't indigenous yeah that like whether she was like the stolen generation yeah because like, we're, like yeah. she would have to be in her 80s or 70s she she appears to die of old age i mean she's she's medicated and there's, there's yeah. potential that she's got an illness but she she does appear quite old weirdly enough she's actually um the actress who plays delilah's real grandma oh really um but she yeah <laughs> uh, so she would have been around in the 1920s i'd say and so yeah, it's fair to say that would. she was potentially a member of mm. or one of the people who was affected by that yeah by that I, process i think I think expanding upon that, um, I also got to thinking about the title of this movie itself, Samson and Delilah. Yeah. There is it's a also a lot of uh, religious connotations with that as well. Um, th- when I did a bit of digging, um, I th- from what I found, I think Warwick Thornton mainly just named it because of the fact that... Um, he 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 said that there was a lot of indigenous people who were given a lot of very heavily christian based names mm-hmm. um but i think looking back on say the actual story of samson and delilah a story as in the biblical the no, biblical was, story yeah. of samson and delilah a story about a man who gets his strength from his hair mm-hmm. and then 
Um, there's a bit of back and forth between him and Delilah. Yeah, she's be- she's being um, bribed by the folks in power to figure out yeah. how, what makes him so strong. Yeah, and, and he yeah. keeps on leading her on with different yeah. different explanations of yes. that. And... Yeah, so he's basically like, oh, no, it's if you put two bows together and do this and blah, blah, and she's like, okay, we'll try that. And then they try it and it doesn't work, and then he stops them. And then they're like, oh, no, so what is it? And he's like, no, it's if you do this and you do this. And then they try it and it doesn't work. And then one day Lester is like, no, 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 actually it's, it's if you cut off my hair and that's, that's where my strength comes from. And then they actually cut off the hair and he loses his strength and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And, but it is interesting in this movie, you know, Samson does get a haircut in this. And... Well, it's, it's more than just a haircut. I mean, yeah. Delilah does the same. And, yeah, they and, both get a haircut. And I was yeah. going to pick, I was going to, like I say, pick up on that. They... I think it's fair to say that where the core narrative is quite is quite base, it's mm. essentially two people running running away from mundanity and, and a, a hazardous environment to seek better fortune. Um, there is, like you say, subtexts that that yeah. lie in either historical yeah. references or uh, religious connotations. But when it comes to the to the hair connection, I mean, I think as per the Samson and Delilah story, this uh, Delilah tended to be demonized for what was seen as a betrayal of, yeah, of yeah. Samson in that context. I don't know that there that necessarily reflects in the narrative component of the movie, but given the the uh, connection to to the hair as a life force, both instances where Samson and Delilah cut their hair are self-inflicted. Mm. They do so after they've experienced traumas in different varieties. After uh, Delilah's grandmother dies, she takes a a kitchen knife and just hacks at her hair and gets it cut short. When Samson cuts his hair is after Delilah's been hit hit by a car. Mm. Now, if you're going to take it as a religious connection, the idea from that narrative is that hair is strength. Both of those instances can be read as those characters in some way losing their strength. Mm. Like uh, Delilah's lost her grandmother, essentially her rock, the thing that was, was... in many ways, giving her reason to get up in the morning because she was there to there to care for her mother, her grandmother, and what what will she do now that she's gone? Yeah. Well, how, like you know, how, what will she do to to fill her time, and how will she, how will she continue to live her life? Um, and Delilah is very much a, a saving grace and a, a ray of hope for Samson. So where he thinks that he's lost her for good, he cuts his hair and devolves further into into substance abuse. So I think that there's a strong. Uh, implication there through that connection yeah yeah and even kind of to an extent of like um yeah you're right with the whole hair equal strength and um in the context of samson and delilah is yeah samson is trying to find a sense of strength you know he's he's quite physical you know Mm. he's 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 beating his brother with a stick kind of thing he's throwing rocks at um delilah and even it it doesn't work, but I think maybe in his mind, him sniffing petrol is something that yeah. he thinks is going to give him strength, yeah. like, but it like, doesn't. Like people seem to do with with alcohol and different yeah, things. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, they think, yeah, yeah, they think. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. It it it's a it's a vice for them. It's something yeah. that they can depend on and they can give them a bit of a boost, mm. but in actual fact, they're not actually realising what it is doing to them. So. But focusing less on the idea of it as strength, it could also be seen as, this is, oh, fuck, we're getting wanky, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we really yeah. are. Let's, get self, let's be wanky, but be self-aware yeah. about it. You could also see that as, as you know, um, 
the idea of letting your guard down, mm. where hair in a very literal sense covers you and in the context of the story, that was essentially something that Samson could use to defend himself. Yeah. Losing it means that he's vulnerable and, yeah, and vulnerability. open yeah. to open to, to damage. And that's something like we say that takes place in two in mm. to both characters in Samson and Delilah the film. Each time they come to cut their hair they use kitchen knives, and each time I was watching, that, I was like, "Dude, you're gonna cut your finger." Yeah, yeah, you're gonna. Slip I was like, and "That's do gonna something. happen." That yeah. was a, that was the things that, like, you know, you worry about. I worry about. Yeah. But you know, once they get into Alice Springs, they come across the guy who's living under the bridge, who's named Gonzo, who I Gonzo. believe is played by Warwick Thornton's brother, who is actually was actually an alcoholic. Yes. Yep. And who relapsed after filming shoot finished, I believe. Oh, okay. That's no good. Grim. No, that's, that's, that's very grim. Yeah. Um, he cleaned up for the film, but then I think there's an account of him relapsing two weeks after. Damn. I hope he's okay now. Yeah. Because Warwick Thornton's continued to produce films, and I imagine he's there to support his brother. Mm. Um, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? But once they get to Alice Springs, they sort they wander around the community, which is which compared to where they're from, is a lot more hustle-bustle. It doesn't really feel like a big community. I've never been to Alice Springs, but we live in a relatively small Australian city that at least has a little bit of a buzz to it. It feels like a country town in WA that I've been to. Yeah. Like, it feels like like Carnarvon or Geraldton. Not not even Geraldton, more like, like... Xmouth, yeah, or something like it's like got that. a it's got a big old supermarket and it's got you know a cafe strip, sure enough. But oh, you know, speaking of which, um, uh, I really appreciated you could see a Coles yeah, in the background. Shout out the Coles, <laughs> and it's you know I'm glad to see that the that the Coles logo has been imprinted on some form of celluloid. <laughs> um, as I'm also proud to see the Saxa salt above yes. the above the fridge. Isn't that weird though? Like you know those little things that signify Australia or like signify. Your, your home life. It just makes me want to ways. get a Southern Cross tattoo. You know? <laughs> but like, even, shed a tear. even the friggin' um the 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 Master Food tomato sauce bottle. Wasn't there even a um uh Gonzo? Wasn't he? I could have sworn I saw in his in, in his suitcase a Alan's lolly pack. He did, and yeah. and bloody um Maggi noodles. Yeah. Are they international? The Maggi noodles? I don't oh, think probably. so. Probably. And eating spaghetti out of a tin. Yeah. What the fuck? I'm pretty sure we're the only <laughs> people that do that. Um, have the it Italians on, have, it, like, have it on toast. Crying. Have it on toast. Um, but yeah, when they get to Alice Springs, it is effectively they 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 try to to make ends meet by just. Living under the hmm. under the bridge, and uh, Delilah tries her hand at at painting, but doesn't doesn't get there. Um, Samson is continuing to use petrol, much to Gonzo and Delilah's dismay. After Samson is uses petrol to such an extent that he can't function, function he doesn't notice Delilah being picked up by a group of men, and we don't see her for hmm. some time. When she returns, she's beaten hmm. and resorts to petrol sniffing herself. Hmm. Um, prior to that, she'd been seen to, we mentioned this earlier, she'd taken up, uh, painting in the same way that her grandmother did and tried to sell it off. Um, after she realized that they were making a very strong profit off of her grandmother's work, but she gets rejected. Yeah. So I think there's a comment there. I mean, I haven't myself bought Aboriginal art. Mm. It is quite beautiful. It is quite attractive and it's, it is nice. I would worry about it being a situation as depicted in that movie where, the creators get very little of of the profit earned, and whether where the cost of it mm. is exponential compared to compared to the earnings of the artist, I'd I'd be a little trepidatious. Yeah. Um, 
but I wonder if that's a like I mean I I'm gonna plead total ignorance to that fact whether that's something that that Warwick Thornton is commenting commenting on specifically whether that is something that happens mm. to people in uh in remote communities who do put a lot of effort in and and uh, commitment into artistic works that then get mm. uh, flogged for insane prices and they don't see a return on mm. um, or it's even like not not even paintings more just Aboriginal like artifacts and stuff like that mm. in general like. You go to any kind of tourist shop, you can see a heap of just boomerangs and stuff like that, and you wonder, like, you know, we've just appropriated something that mm-hmm. they came up with, and where, you know, whoever's running the shop is, you know, earning the profits off of it. Yeah, yeah it's it's quite sad. Yeah, I, I imagine there's probably a similar story for Indigenous Americans in, in the United States as well, yeah, for, for, things that, yeah. for things that are connected to their culture and their... Their artifacts and artwork and mm. things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'll have to look have to look into that whether that's an actual whether that, that's an actual trend in which case it's a, it's a vi- it's viable for commentary in this situation because where Delilah commits to doing her own piece of art, um, she can't get it. She's like we like we say quite blatantly disregarded by the owner of the store and and yeah. is then led away. It might also just be the fact that she's a kid going into yeah, an art shop true. and there is generally in films there is a kind of you know your typical snooty art dealer yeah. who's, who doesn't take you know is only interested in art done by high profile kind of people so I mean just taking aside the cultural aspect it could just also be as well the fact that they she's a kid trying to sell some art yeah, yeah. absolutely and there, so there are two instances where Samson seems to, to, to ignore or not even notice the fact that Delilah's been put in grave danger, the first being her being taken, taken away by those men that effectively leads to her fall into substance abuse, but then she is hit by a car to which oh, Samson doesn't even Oh, that took me more, like, by I surprise. I fucking jumped. Like, I did. I, the whole movie is like very... Uh, one thing I noticed about the movie is it's quite still and quiet for the most part. And so you don't see it coming. <laughs> but it's weird. I, I've spoken to a number of people in the week who had said, oh, I studied this for school. Mm. And the minute that happened, I was like, like, I wanted to pause the movie and just message him going, no. No, you what did What the no, fuck? No, you like, did Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't happen in a movie. They <laughs> kill the person who's in the title. Yeah. Um, well, we're just going to have Samson. Yeah, this isn't Sam. I came to see Samson and Delilah. Yeah. Not fucking Samson. I want my money back. <laughs> um, but she's hit by the car quite abruptly and in a weird kind of hereditary style, not not willing to look at the at the damage, Samson continues to walk. Yeah. Now, I read somewhere that, that people had deduced that that was because he was in a, in a drug induced stupor. But I did also, with, with regard to the hereditary connect, uh, Association. I did think maybe he knows that it happened, but he didn't want to look. Yeah, like he was yeah. too scared. Yeah, and I imagine looking would be a horrible thing. And we we don't know what happened to her. So as far as we know, in that moment, she she's passed away. Yeah. Um, because it was quite a full on hit. In fact, I'm su- realistically I'm surprised. I'm su- yeah, she survived. I'm su- like, that was a, that was fucked I'm up. Surpri- like, I was so surprised to see her walking. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but she does appear later, but not long after. Uh, Samson has effectively spent the night inhaling petrol and, and is totally dazed mm. that when she arrives there was a bit of me that thought that it was a it was a hallucination, hallucination and there's yeah. probably a reading of the film that would suggest that that moment is a hallucination and, and Samson is effectively living in his in his imagination yeah, um, I don't want to think that 
it's too depressing. Yeah, because yeah. I think the movie ends on quite an optimistic note where a lot of people were telling me, oh, you got to watch out because it's quite heavy. Yeah. I was surprised how uplifting the ending was. So the idea that that ending is is false... No. Yeah. Don't no. do that to me, yeah. please. <laughs> but um, when Sam, when Delilah does arrive, she's in her white hoodie, and suddenly that is given an additional saintly angelic meaning. Again, mm. I th- I don't think that like the, this religious connotation is totally subtext. I think it's quite clear. Yeah. But um, she se- she picks him up, and they take him back to the community. Um, they are treated with similar animosity to what they were received when they left, and effectively move out on their own where. They form a bond together in, in what was destined to happen and effectively overcome the forces that were that were mm. there to keep them apart, which which were essentially Samson's growing indifference with the world and his drug addiction and Delilah's inability to find stability. Mm. And they seem to have found it by the end of the movie, which is why I hope that, that, that it's a positive, yeah. that it is the positive ending that, that mm. the direct reading of the film would suggest. Mm. I mean... The film does deal with some really heavy stuff. Um, it does deal with heavy stuff, yeah. But, like, I think what I quite appreciated about it is it was told with a lot of care from Warwick Thornton. You know, it feels like he's drawing upon past experiences with this. Um, what I also liked is, look, at, look. granted, I've not seen a heat... I haven't seen every Australian movie ever. Um, I don't claim to be an expert. Yes, we run a podcast here. Um Part but, of that is our exploration. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. Exploration, exactly. Now, of the handful of Australian films I've seen involving Indigenous people, pretty much most of them are, you know, the ones set in colonial times and, you know, they're treated like absolute crap and it's it's very, you know, white people are the bad guys and, you know, they're doing horrible things to these people. This is like one of the few where I've actually seen where they're, Okay, then they're not they're not in an amazing situation, mm. but they're not, you know, going through hell and that kind of thing for the most part. For the most part, I like, I, mean, I think there is a very clear disillusionment that is that is totally in line with a post colonial with post colonial yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I think there's the the like there's that moment where when they're in Alice Springs and Delilah's sat under the tree from mm. those two mm. girls and it does sort of feel like like there's not just a like there is more than just the fact that they're a certain distance apart like they're they're engaging and yeah. and and talking and she's effectively got no one and she's on her own yeah um i think that that is more subtext like you say and if it, and if you weren't aware necessarily of of indigenous and colonial history i.e. if you were from a an international perspective and hadn't and hadn't either been taught that or experienced um a lot of the disenfranchisement that that befalls Indigenous people in in Australia, or witnessed it, I should say, not experience, um, or experience, um, you might not you might not gather that as a subtextual yeah, reference. Yeah. But I think, like I say, for the most part, and you tend to get that where where a lot of people tend to point to Australian things and say, "Oh, don't do that overseas; people won't know." There are there are things that just perpetuate in in fiction and and. Uh, culture in general that are that yeah, that, boundaries. that are just yeah, universal yeah. and universal by nature of it being 
human components mm. where you know I mean, there are a lot of like, things that there's are... no there's barely any dialogue in this movie no. so like you could you could not speak a word of english but and still yeah get a, the general i was thinking that and it's like on. it's like what that that thing that george miller says he used to do where he used to watch the, the you know the drive-in films but he didn't have the sound so he but he came to understand the film without the without the audio yeah, yeah. and then he when he directs he he would he likes his films to be understand understandable without the use of of dialogue mm. and again there is dialogue in this movie but but Thinking back to that thing that that I'd heard uh, Doctor Miller say, good old Doctor Miller, Doc yep. Miller. Um, I did figure that if you took out all the dialogue in this film, would you understand it? And probably, yeah, I think you would. Exactly. Like, like I was thinking where the, where the first dialogue is between Samson and Delilah. Uh, Samson, uh, no, sorry, Delilah and her grandmother. Yeah. And it's take your pills, you need them, and the grandma's a little bit reluctant. If you took out the dialogue. The expressions and the the actions would be sufficient to yeah. to to get what was going on, and it is effectively she wants to give her the medicine. The grandma don't want it. Yeah. she's going to try again because mm. you and you know this this person needs the medicine, but the grandma don't want it, and and it plays out like whenever I think of silent cinema, just because it's something that's perpetuated in my life, I think of Mr. Bean. Yeah, right? <laughs> but I think that's that's and that's not to de- de- to devalue silent cinema cinema at all. Because I think if you're going to scrutinise over how Mr. Bean works. It's a lot cleverer than you give it credit mm. for, as where you know where where comedy can often be just you know shrugged off as you know uh, mm. laughter fodder. What's conveyed in in something like Mr. Bean through the what you'd say is the bare minimum dialogue, but the bare maximum of facial mm. expression and, and action is something that a, Samson and Delilah is evidence of. Yeah, a lot of what Mr. Bean is is like you laugh, but it's also quite frustrating to watch him. Like you're looking at a situation, you're going. This would be so much easier if he just said, "Hey, look, I've got a chicken, on, uh, a turkey on my head." Yeah. Kind of. You thing. imagine a Mr. Bean sketch that lasts about fifteen minutes, lasting about five if he could speak. Yeah, yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? um, but I, and a similar instance, and again, uh, a little more, uh, a little less adult than Samson Delilah, but things like Wallace and Gromit, Shaun the Sheep, mm. and uh, Ardman works that are not so dialogue heavy, but are dependent on on expressions Runs and gestures and, and yeah. things like that. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I thought you said drugs. Uh, no, <laughs> grunts. Were you, were you? Were we watching the same Wallace and Gromit? <laughs> but um, and it is kind. It is interesting to see this used in 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 a more adult context. But it is totally evidence of the fact that that. But there's a universality in in human behaviour and human experience mm. where I think um, this could be seen overseas and there'd be total viability and audience appreciation oh, yeah, of it. Sure. And it seems that that's what's happened. I was going to mention to you as well, if you go on the Samson and Delilah website, there's a, I think it's from, it's from some American festival. I think it's Telluride or something. Telluride. Yeah, probably. And it's, um, it's the actress who plays Delilah with Nick Cage. Oh, really? You'll nice. love it. <laughs> <laughs> you perked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think also, interestingly as well, it was Australia's submission um, for best foreign like because uh a lot of countries you know they'll put forth a film to contend with the oscars and all that and so in the year that it was released it was australia's main submission for best foreign film um i don't think it won anything or was nominated even but it was that yeah it it was that well received and um that universal that you know they put it under the foreign film category so yeah yeah and i mean like like i say like it is if you're going to say foreign language film it does it does indicate that there is that there is yeah. language being spoken in it um 
and that would be the Walpuri language that, that uh, Delilah and her grandmother predominantly speak. Mm. But I believe Rowan McNamara, who plays Samson, and Marissa Gibson, who plays Delilah, both received, I think it was AFI awards for, for their roles. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And Warwick Thornton won the Camera d'Or at Cannes in 2009, which I think is they give to... You probably know better than me. I think it's what they give to first-time directors. Oh, and yeah, like, like first, people like, up and coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is quite a wor- like a, a, a massive honour in the scheme of things. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm surprised that it's taken this long for me to watch this movie because it, since its release, it has, it has been firmly in my subconscious. I think it aired fairly soon after on the ABC. Mm. The ABC is a, is a producer on it, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I believe it aired fairly soon after its release on the ABC... And like I say, that I know a number of people that studied at school. I haven't yet asked you whether you enjoyed it or not. Did you enjoy this movie? Oh, I yeah, I really, I, I really liked it. I liked that it felt quite sincere. I liked that yeah, it's quite a still movie. It's, I mean, there are musical cues in it, but for the most part, yeah, not a lot of dialogue. It's just, just actions happening. Yeah, it's and, predominantly action. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. Yeah. It is. It does get quite heavy towards the second half there, but um, yeah, it's 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 an important film. Mm. I think. I I, mean, I appreciate the the notion of heaviness, but I mean, similar to where Train Spotting is quite a heavy movie, I find the ending to the first quite uplifting. Mm. Less so when you know how the second one transpires, but where the first one ends on the optimistic note of oh, he's finally he's finally made it, or he's finally going to make it. Yeah, I think this one quite similarly ends with an optimistic vision yeah. where it's, you know, that they're together. Uh, she, she's alive. She's alive. There's, she seems to be weaning him off the, uh, yeah, off they're the slowly petrol. getting off petrol. Yeah. And, um, the future looks a lot brighter than, than their future did when, when we started in the narrative. Yeah. But you're right. There, there are things that happen along the way that are, that are really bleak and there's imagery mm. that, that, you know, I don't think there are many movies that deal with, mm. uh, substance abuse in this way. Particularly around kids. Around kids, yeah. I mean, because they are effectively meant to be 16 or 17. Like, they'd have to be fairly young. Mm. Um, around kids who don't really have any parents or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I'm keen to get it on DVD. I believe there's a sec, like a two-disc edition that's running out there that has a making-of documentary on it that I really want to see. Yeah, I've heard about that. And yeah. I haven't seen Sweet Country, and I haven't seen oh, get the documentary that he did. What's the documentary? It's called We Don't Need a Map. We Don't Need a Map. Awesome. And, uh... He's done something else as well. He's done, I, I believe he has. He's done short films that I believe are also featured on the Samson mm. Delilah DVD, so I'm definitely going to check those out. Yeah. But no. I enjoyed it. Good suggestion, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed it too, so yeah. Yeah. So that was Samson and Delilah. It was. It was. It were good. Yeah. Definitely check it out. It's on Stan at the moment. Uh, it will, because of how well received it was in Australia here and abroad, it, it it will most likely stay on stand for yeah. a while. I believe it when it was released, it did the international circuit run, uh, international film festival run, and it was it mm. was similarly well received. I hope it I hope it stays in people's minds um, as a solid example of of our local cinema. Well, at least <laughs> I guess there is one one positive that it will be at least searched up online about is <laughs> the fact that it is named after. Like the the name of the film yeah. takes inspiration from the biblical story, 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of adaptations of the biblical story itself. So it's like when people search Samson and Delilah, there's a strong possibility this will come yeah, up. Yeah, that's true. Whether or not they mean to watch it, but, like, it will certainly... It won't... It, it's got, like, quite a popular name that, like, I feel like it's not going to disappear anytime soon. Mm. Whether or not you're a- actively searching for it or accidentally stumble across it, it will be in the con- public conscious for yeah. a long time. I agree. So. So. Neck week. Neck week. Neck pod. Neck pod. Neck pod. <laughs> neck pod. Ca- <laughs> neck what, pod. Ca- wait, what? what are we watching? Uh, we're doing Animal Kingdom, aren't we? Yeah, we're we should, Animal Yeah, it's getting close to Christmas, so we thought we'd go with a... And I, I've seen Animal Kingdom a couple times. Yeah. We I thought think there's a moment of Christmassy shit in there. We thought we'd go with a movie that just really embodies, you know, getting together as a family. Yeah, family. There's yeah. a lot of red in it. A lot of red. Um, bit of green. Bit of green. Bit of green. Bit of green. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, arbitrary Christmas choice, let's be honest. But Very it. loosely Christmas. Animal Kingdom, that's what we're watching. It's something that I really enjoy. Jesse, mm. you haven't seen it? No, I haven't. You bastard. I've, it's been on my list for a while. It's really good. Yeah. I believe it's on Stan. It is on Stan. And apparently there's a TV show as well. Don't watch it. Yeah, I've heard. No, I've, I, I, I've heard don't I'm watch inclined it. not to watch it. And, and I've heard that from people who have seen the film. They're like, man, they ruin it. Mm. Yeah. But... Maybe I should be more open-minded. Maybe I'll give it a go somewhere Maybe down the Maybe we might do the show one day in the future on yeah. the spot. It is American, though. Oh, no. You didn't know that? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, we're not It's an American that. remake, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm glad that we get similar treatment, the similar treatment that the Brits do, though. <laughs> that is true, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, okay. They maybe... tried it with Kath and Kim. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, so we'll definitely... Um, be doing Animal Kingdom next Absolutely. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Play the trailer. Play the trailer. This boy who's currently being looked after. Anything you do say can be used as evidence in any later court appearances. You understand? Yeah. Tell me if you agree with this. This boy who's being looked after, he knows who you are. And you've done some bad things, sweetie. God, don't you reckon Animal Kingdom would be a great name for the Lion King? <laughs> do you re- have you seen what do you call it, Lano and Woodley? The the adventures of Lano and Woodley? No. What's, go, what's, what's this? You know Lano and Woodley, the comedians? No. You fuck. Oh my God. We're doing, Lano we're, and Woodley. We're doing that sometime. We're doing Lano and Woodley, the series for, for this podcast. Lay- L- Lano, Colin Lane, and Frank Woodley. Oh, so Dude, I'm not being funny, but we're going to put this episode out. People are going to hear your reaction to not knowing to, La- to the name. People are going to hear your reaction. Lano and Woodley. Dude, people are going to hear your reaction right now, and they're going to be, I'm going to stop listening. Oh, listening. okay. Yeah, yeah. they're going to boycott They're going to boycott. Cancel Jesse for not, for not li- knowing who oh, Lano and Woodley I'm getting was. getting cancelled But there's, there's a moment where, they, where they're looking for a video like a scary movie, and he goes in, um, and he, and the guy suggests, oh, have you seen Silence of the Lambs? And he's like, nah, I don't like nature films. <laughs> but we assure you the Animal King, Animal Kingdom has lions of a different sort. Definitely. As long as it's got animals, I'm all, I'm all good. Yeah. There's some animalistic human beings. <laughs> okay, then. I'm keen for it. All awesome. Right. 
So, shall we finish this pod? What do you think I was doing? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. I didn't know that was your Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can, you can <laughs> catch me on. <laughs> um, anyway, follow our socials. Like us on Facebook. On, on the fake book. Like, on, uh, like us on the Facebook. On the Facebook. Uh, on the Facebook. At, at, at the pool room. Chuck us a... Well, chuck me a like and a follow on my Twitter at Neil Creative. I post GIFs and my thoughts on films over there. You can follow me on um, Letterboxd. King Bitch is my name. And, yeah, like the podcast. Subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple. On and- the spot. And all of the all of the other places where you can find this podcast. Tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast. We'd tell really your appreciate mum. if you tell. Tell your mum. Tell your mum in particular. Yeah. Tell it to your mother. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Bye, guys. See ya. Bleh.